The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. We got a big old bag of mail to get to. A reminder, if you want to get a question in for the mailbag, you can go uh, find the Cover 3 Podcast, leave us five stars, leave a review. You can say nice things. You can offer a suggestion, uh, but then put your question in there. We will grab it. We will add it to the mailbag, address it in an upcoming mailbag episode. Also, you can stream and follow us on Spotify. We are make, trying to make sure we reach that audience as well. So if that's uh, your preferred podcast platform, we are also available on Spotify. Gentlemen, before we get to the big old bag of mail, um, by the next time we gather together, the first spring FCS game will have taken place. It is week zero FCS, McNeese State against Tarleton State. The schedule really opens up a little bit more once we get into it. So I wanted to, as a, as a matter of business that, that we can sort out here, at what point do we start getting our eyes on some FCS locks for Thursday, Friday episodes? We don't need to do a whole, a whole episode of it, but I, my position is I'd like to see the football. I'd like to get my hands on something. Like I, just, I don't want to blind fire on this like I was Bundesliga plays in June, okay? Like I, I want to be able to actually feel like I've got some information, and so I, I think that I'd like to see a little bit of football. But if the interest is there for the audience, then of course we'll deliver it. But I also, just because we're going to talk about it, I want to see where you guys are at for the spring FCS football season. Danny, you want to go first? <laughs> sure, I'll take a, I'll take a stab at it. I um, typically in a non-pandemic time of year, I kind of check out right of football, and even with the uh, XFL and some of these other leagues, like I'll peruse them. Like if there's nothing going on, I'll flip it on. Um, I do think, and I was one who do, I do think it could gain some traction. I do think it's good exposure for these teams, but how hard is it going to be to watch them? Like, I, I think I, like you're saying, Hey, I want to see some, are we going to be able to flip it on ESPN or FS one Southwest, which I think we are Fox sports Southwest. Cause I had a Tarleton state fan say, Hey, are you guys going to cover the games? And then I saw on their timeline that they are going to promote some of them. Like, how hard is it to find them? Like, to me, that's what, like, I'm like you, Chip. Like, I'm not just going to blindly throw some money out there without at least kind of getting a glimpse of it. So I'm, I'm curious on a number of levels. I would love to give out locks. I hope they're fairly easy to find. But I would take any lock with a grain of salt uh, that we give out. And these should definitely not count against the record, <laughs> the official, official record. Yeah, I don't know that I care, honestly. <laughs> I I. I I'm in that same kind of position with you, Danny, where it's like at this point at time of the year, I'm kind of done. And with football, anyways, just as far as sports fandom is concerned, I'm, I'm more focused on spring stuff for colleges, like the FBS schools that we cover on a regular basis than I'm probably going to be for the FCS games. Because 
even in the last few years when we've had like the XFL or the AAF, I can't even remember what it was. That was it. You got it. Yeah. It's like awesome, sweet football. But then it was like I, I, I didn't really find myself watching it that much because there, there was like the college basketball season's running. We were going into the tournament. The NBA was going on. You know, the baseball gets started, and there's all these other sports and soccer that just kind of already grabbed my attention. That I can't sit here right now and say that I'm going to be looking for FCS games to watch. Maybe when they get to the playoffs, if they get to the playoffs, that's when I'll start paying attention. But I can't sit here. I don't think I'm going to be watching. You said it was McNeese and Tarleton. Yes. I don't really think I'm going to be watching McNeese and Tarleton. McNeese on the road, lock it up. You know, you, you got it. You got to trust in the names that you know. And uh, and I cannot say that I know much about Tarleton State, but I've, I've seen McNeese out there. You know what McNeese ain't? McNeese ain't scared. It's, I'm, I'm going to see all the FCS teams that play FBS games, right? All the FCS teams that have buy games against power five teams that we catch them in the, in a normal non-conference schedule. I am going to be biased and I will always be on those teams. Also another fun little wrinkle that Bill Connolly mentioned on Monday, New Mexico state, technically an FBS independent is playing a spring season. We want hashtag, undefeated New Mexico state, a UCF like national championship claim for the Aggies after going three and O in the 2020, 21 uh, year. I will say also, I mean, gotta be a little bit of interest in Jackson state with Dion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if that, if there's going to be a game that gets flexed from like an ESPN plus to an ESPN it's going to be Jackson state. Yes. Yeah, and he's, he's pulled in. I mean, it's all, it's it, all of these, whether it was XFL or AAF, it's kind of like, if there's a name you recognize, are, are you, that would give me a pull to come and watch. So if it is Dion on the sidelines, I'll be curious. Hey, what does this team look like? Other than that, like I also like Johnny Manziel's playing football this spring too. He is. Yeah. Where? For Charleston State. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, there's like a new no, no, no. I'm sorry. There's a there's a league that's starting up, and I get it's very, very towards the bottom of the totem pole on in the professional sports leagues. But Serie C. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but he's actually going to be playing. I think it always comes down to who we can, what can you find on TV. Like that's the brand. That's fan controlled football. Coca, thank you. Fan controlled football is the name of the league, and that one dude, you know that Bob Menery, the guy on Instagram, who's the. Uh, guy from Boston who does the voiceovers and he's like cursing up a storm on the highlights. Uh, he's a part owner of the team that Manziel is playing for. So that might be like the one where you have to tune in to see the train wreck, like just to All see right. how bad it is. Here we go. If, if Johnny Manziel has agreed to resume his playing career with a startup league called fan controlled football, the league scheduled to begin play in February will feature seven on seven games. <laughs> that ain't football. I didn't see that. <laughs> That's you don't you don't win in the Big Ten with seven on seven. Come on, <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm like literally. We we watch spring games and those get stupid. I am not watching seven on seven drills. Okay, all right. Well, let's let's go ahead and get started with the big old bag of mail. Uh, great pod as always. Look forward to all the off season conversations. Yeah, that's another thing is I think we have really good off season conversations. Like I don't I don't want to get too lost in the FCS weeds when we can have a lot of fun breaking some of this stuff down. Uh, all the off-season conversations and hopefully a little more normal 2021 season. Uh, just as Danny has been a great addition to the pod, but has been just as good. Question, guessing which first-year coach can improve their team is always difficult. However, now that we have seen a year of some coaches like a Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Jeff Halfley at Boston College, Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri, as well as others, who are you most excited to see long-term at their current school it's the sort of the meat of the question uh, of those coaches that just finished their first year. And then uh, a sub part of this, which can be good for the conversation, which coach seems not to fit their program quite, quite as well as we thought last year when they got hired. I, I think as far as most excited, I think the obvious answer is Lane Kiffin at Old Miss just because if he stays there and again that's kind of the situation I, if he has success I don't know if he's going to stay there or if another larger job comes open if he would leave for it but I mean I think that as far as pay is concerned he'll be just fine where he is but 
I think that just for the content, more than anything, having Lane at that program in the SEC West where he could just kind of be a thorn in the side of Saban or, you know, just play that foil play, you know, like, I, I don't know if the rebels are going to be a team that's winning SEC West titles or playing for SEC titles, but I think that they can be a very good team that as we saw this year, just as they were offensively, they can give Alabama problems. And if he keeps improving the talent level of that roster, maybe they take that step forward. And if he starts to care about playing defense, maybe they take that step forward. So I think I'm excited to watch that just for content purposes of making things interesting. Whereas I don't think Ole Miss is going to be the title contender from that division. I think that's still going to be Alabama, A&M, Auburn, LSU. I just think that he's going to have a good, a big role in deciding that every single year. He's going to be like that kind of chaos agent. I also, I like Sam Pittman just personally as a coach. So how long is he going to last? Like I'm having a hard time uh, being excited about the long-term Sam Pittman future at Arkansas because it's just so damn hard to win at Arkansas. And this is the same program that just, and not, I don't disagree with the decision based on the quality of play and what was happening, but I mean, they, quick rope on uh, Chad Morris, you know, the, the Brett Bielema, when we were talking about reviewing the 2018 cycle kind of seemed like that was a little bit early on him. I I'm having trouble um, being encouraged there. I do think the alpha nerd, I mean, it's tough because he went from uh, like going to one year at app state. Then all of a sudden he, he goes to Missouri and we were, we were saying, I mean, that guy must interview. Well, that guy must crush it. That guy's going places. Like he's on the job ladder, but like, I mean, Gary Pinkle did what 14, 15 seasons at Missouri. Like if yeah, he was there a long time. If he want, if if Eli Drinkwitz wants to set up shop, life in the SEC East, it's a lot easier to put together uh, seven and five, eight and four seasons. Maybe if you can flirt with being a dark horse in the division title race every three to four years, the Missouri football community, I think, would welcome another like coach who just can, can be really consistent uh, over a long period of time. So I kind of feel like uh, I'm, I'm a little bit excited about the potential of Eli Drinkwitz and I'm more concerned that his own ambitions might be the only thing that would prevent him from being there long-term. Yeah. But most, most of Pinkle's tenure came in the big 12 North. Which and you think they is just, were winning like division titles. They were winning 10, 11 games. I think that bought him a whole lot of goodwill. I don't know how much how long Mizzou will be willing to sit if 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 Eli's going seven and five, eight and four, nine and three every year. I think we've seen with so many fan bases that they they get tired of even if it's like success, they'll they'll get tired of it. It's uh I was just looking at this list just from the SEC alone and there's a lot of optimism. Like a lot of fan bases are like, hey, we nailed it. We got this higher right. And for good reason. Like a lot of them look great right now. But I'm curious, like in two or three years, which one of these guys will be right back where they're on the hot seat. And I would be worried. A lot of it's program related. Like I'm with you, Tom, like on on Sam Pittman, like, hey, I love the hire. He was a lot of fun to watch. But just how hard is it uh, to win at Arkansas? And when you don't win an SEC game in 20 tries and then all of a sudden you get just a couple, it feels like a massive win. But if you only get a couple next year or two or three, then it's like. Well, where are we going? So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, The Lane Kiffin one, I think is, it's such, that one surprised me with the, how much offensive success they had in year one. I don't know why. I didn't know if they'd be that good, but they had the best performance against Alabama, anybody in the country. Um, If they get just a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to be that team that's just going to be a headache, like the chaos that you're talking about. I don't think they're going to win the West, but I could see them, you know, providing a loss to an Auburn and LSU. You know, I think they could give Alabama a scare again where it's just a headache and they're going to ruin somebody's, you know, SEC West division hope. Somebody's going to be in the race and they're going to knock them out. Like they're, they're going to have some surprising wins where they upset a team that, you know, the fan base of the opponent is going to think they're going to win and Ole Miss is going to win the game. Do you trust Lane Kiffin to still be there, especially as we're coming off of one season at Ole Miss 
And then you know who Auburn should really look at is Lane Kiffin. Like if Coach O is out at LSU, Lane, you know what? I mean, you could just go up and go get Lane. Like he is this. I mean, there's a reason why we're excited about him um, because in addition to content, he's had on-field results immediately. I don't think I trust Lane Kiffin. Like Lane Kiffin in long term, it's just tough for me to put those two phrases together, uh, even, even at Ole Miss. Well, you know who I do think is long-term and is kind of exciting to me? Greg Schiano at Rutgers. Oh, heck yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think that if he has success there, he's going anywhere. I think that, you know, it's he, he's tried that before and it didn't work out for him. So I think that he's going to, I would, I would, I would assume that he's going to, if he has a success there, he's going to live in that success and just finish there. And I think that we saw, I mean, it wasn't a great season, it was three and six, but there was a clear step forward in that program from where it had been in previous seasons. And we already know that he kind of has a solid blueprint for building up that football program. And I think that, you know, with like Indiana kind of taking a step forward this year, I think that if Rutgers can also take that kind of step forward, we're looking at a big 10 East where Ohio state's still going to be Ohio state. I think Michigan's going to be improving at some point and it's going to get to that kind of division competing level. I think Penn State is still Penn State. We're looking at a Big Ten East that might no longer just be three schools and some other guys. Like, I I feel like that could become a very competitive division within the Big Ten, so that's interesting. And another coach that was brought up in the question, Jeff Halfley at Boston College, although that's a situation where I'm not sure how long he would be there. Agree. Like, if, if he starts winning at Boston College, I feel like some programs are going to come sniffing around. And I do feel like there is probably a ceiling to what you can do at Boston College. Um, 100%. There absolutely is. And I think, you know, there's some, there's some coaches that are out there. I think you, you were talking about Eli Drinkwitz, like what a job he does. And uh, like you talk to them, they have great personalities. And personality matters in this business. Like you're good with the press. Uh, you're good with a fan base. And you can win at some of these programs, like you're not going to be around long. That's why I totally agree. Like Jeff Halfley did, I think he overachieved in his first year. I think if he gets to eight or nine wins, he's going to have some some interest in whatever job would be there. And having covered a lot of BC football when I lived up there, I was living in Connecticut, and so they'd give me that regional so I could drive to the game. It was great. I loved it. But like it, you go to a, a BC game, and normally what I would do the day of the game wake up, get a coffee, pick up a local newspaper and kind of like, all right, last minute of prep. Let's see what the local paper's saying. You know, you go there and they have like the front page. If you go to Chapel Hill, it's going to be like UNC football, who has the edge and they break it down all throughout. You go to Boston and good luck finding the spread of the game that Boston College is playing in. Like you have to, you literally, you can't find an article that's written a preview about the game it's just an, a region of the country where it's impossible to make inroads in the professional landscape. They don't care about football and it's just, it's a hard place to win. So I think Jeff Halfley would probably bounce from there. Um, I thought I looked at this in an angle too, from there were several coaches that they get the COVID pass. Right. And I think that's fair. Uh, I had Dave Aranda written down at Baylor who, you know, I was bullish on him coming in, but you know, didn't work out that well. Um, I looked at Mike Leach, another one where it's kind of like, man, you thought it was going to be whole, like this was going to be the team that Ole Miss turned out to be like all offense, no defense. It was actually the reverse. Like their offense got figured out by the defenses after Bo Pelini kept, you know, trying to do the same thing and banging his head against the wall. And then their defense actually played really well. So I'm curious to see what he does. And then from a from a Florida state standpoint, like I think Mike Norvell gets a pass, but that pass isn't going to be around long. So I'm kind of excited to see what he does with a full off season, kind of weeding out some of the players, getting a quarterback who has some question marks and Mackenzie Milton. So like those three coaches year two, I think is going to clearly have massive importance on which way their programs are headed. And is there optimism? Do you get it kind of turned in the right direction? And if you're not, I think, you know, all three of these programs kind of expect, and of course at different various levels, but they're going to expect like you better be well over 500 and at a pretty decent bowl in year two, regardless of how bad year one was. 
And another one I'm interested in, I don't know if excited is the right word, but Carl Durrell at Colorado, because we had such low expectations for that hire coming into the season, and they played really well in a very short season. But as we've talked about in the last few shows, I don't know what the hell to make of anything that happened in the Pac-12 this year. So it's like I'm going to be really interested in seeing going into next season for the Buffaloes with Durrell. Was 2020 kind of just like a crazy, you know, flash in the pan that'll fizzle out or was there something there that we saw that is going to continue to build and Colorado is going to be a strong player in the Pac-12 South or at least another contender in the South I'll come out and say they're not going to be the worst team right like I mean Arizona got rid of Kevin Sumlin and hired Jed Fish and I, I think if I'm power ranking them right now I'm probably putting Arizona down there in the basement and putting Colorado a little bit higher yeah I would too All right, this next question comes from Andrew. Gentlemen, I want to say that I love the pod. You guys rock. I started listening to the show in August 2019 and haven't missed an episode since. Thank you, Andrew. Secondly, congrats to Barton on the Vandy job. Not a Vandy fan by any stretch, but I definitely wish Barton all the success. Anyway, here's my question. Which of these two scenarios is more likely to happen first? Miami winning an ACC championship. Remember, They have reached the ACC championship game once. It was not very competitive. (laughs) Number two, so it's either Miami winning an ACC championship or Michigan beating Ohio State. Depending on whether you believe the spot was good or whether you believe the spot was not good, you may think that that has also been uh, close as well, but clearly two fan bases that would love to be able to get over those. Which do you think happens first, Miami wins the ACC or Michigan beats Ohio State? See, I, I look at this as not really a twin the ACC as much as can Miami beat Clemson because mm-hmm. you got to feel like if they're going to win the ACC title, they're beating Clemson in the ACC championship game. And there was two ways I looked at it. I think that right now the talent, <clears throat> the talent gap between Clemson and Miami is smaller than I think the one between Ohio State and Michigan. And I think that's more a reflection of Ohio State is because we've seen Clemson's finally kind of started putting together really highly ranked recruiting classes. So that gap could also continue to increase just like it is with Ohio State and Michigan. So if you look at that angle, you could make the argument that Miami's closer. But if you look at Miami in its games against Clemson, like we talk about Ohio State dominating Michigan. But Miami's last three games against Clemson, they've lost all three and they lost them by an average of 39.3 points per game. The last game, the 25-point loss this season, was the closest Miami has been to Clemson in any of those meetings. Under Harbaugh, Michigan's lost five straight to Ohio State, but they've lost them by an average of 19 points, and they've never lost any of them by more than 29. So literally, their biggest loss was 29. Miami's closest loss against Clemson was 25. So to me... That suggests Michigan is more likely to beat Ohio State than Miami is to beat Clemson anytime soon. But then now we go to the other side of the argument. Michigan plays Ohio State every single year. Miami might get to the ACC title game and not have to play Clemson. Right. So I I don't know. But I, I, I would go with Michigan beating Ohio State before I took Miami to win the ACC. I agree with Michigan. But can we consider that 59 to nothing game as an outlier? No. Do we get to consider the f- whatever point win by Ohio State an outlier? But I mean, that was like I, Al Golden might have been fired the next week. Yeah, I mean that was <laughs> Dabo didn't even take his team into the locker room. He was so unhappy with the treatment that they were getting in uh, Hard Rock Casino Stadium. It was he was he was a, he was a fiery man that day. I think it's easy. I think it's Michigan beats Ohio State first, and it's one game. That's what you're looking for. Like, it has more to do with what you have to do. What if you get, you know, a few fumbles, a few interceptions, uh, pick six, like some things can get squirrely and you could be a three touchdown underdog and pull off an upset, right? I mean, we saw LSU beat uh, Florida this past season in that situation. We might, Michigan could beat Ohio State in a year nobody thinks they could just because of the nature of football. It'd be a lot less fluky to win an ACC championship, especially when you probably have to go through Clemson uh, most likely scenario, but not only that, but like North Carolina is getting better. Like Mac Brown is kind of building something there, which I think should give North Carolina fans a ton of excitement. Um, you know, I mean, Pitt has been a headache for Miami. They have to, you know, even in their own division in the coastal, like Virginia, Virginia tech, like, I know it's not a gauntlet, but like, are the Hokies going to be like, are they going to be as bad this year? Is it going to be much of a lock and Miami, 
hasn't exactly just been, you know, it's not like Clemson's the only hurdle they have to get through. Like if it was, that was the case, then it'd be like, okay, maybe they're getting closer, but they haven't played for that many ACC championships yet where you feel like the regular season is a lock. They still kind of have those clunkers every once in a while that kind of surprise you. Next question comes from Ryan. Uh, Speaking of Clemson, thank you for bringing good football focused content with such frequency. Great stuff. Bud Elliott has been a outstanding addition question submission. Do you think the LSU and OSU blowout losses the Clemson suffered indicate anything long-term for the prospects of that Tiger defense, or do you think they'll return to suffocating opposing defenses in short order? Did Alabama's blowout loss to Clemson in the title game mean anything for them long-term? Well, (laughs) Alabama's defense has not been suffocating. No, but I just... The turn, the turn for Alabama was we're just going to score more points than you. And I, th- I do think that there is uh, worthy self-scouting that can and should happen at Clemson because the aggressive style that they play defensively works really well against most ACC teams because most ACC teams don't have Ohio State or LSU's wide receivers. I mean, gr- granted, we are talking about... Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Like we're talking about superstar wide receivers. And when you are very aggressive, uh, and granted, Clemson did not blitz a lot later in the game because they I think they realized pretty early that uh Ohio State was just gonna tear them up. But when you've got a Nolan Turner back there against a Chris Olave, like that's that's a that's a maybe something that uh, you should take into consideration. And so, yeah, I, I think that there could be one game plan that Clemson uses through most of its schedule, but maybe adjusting that game plan to something a little bit more conservative and maybe a little bit against the identity of the Brent Venables defense when you are going up against these juggernaut wide receiver rooms. I don't think it's a terrible idea. Yeah, but I, I, I think the argument isn't that they need to revamp the way they play defense as much as they, if they look at what Alabama and LSU and Ohio State have done, they should say, man, we need to get better wide receivers. Well, they have or they have wide receivers who are five stars who we just haven't seen flash like Joseph Nagata, Frank Ladson, um, EJ Williams finally broke out near the end of this season. Obviously, Justin Ross had the injury, wasn't able to play. There's... They are in a little bit of a dip where, you know, what they were recruiting, they thought that they were going to be able to keep that uh, Deion Kane, Mike Williams, DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins line alive, and it's it's dropped off a little bit. I think you guys are barking up the wrong tree. I got my trusty notebook here where I take notes from every show and I go back. Um, this was right after the championship game where – or no, it was after the playoff loss where, you know, it was ugly. It looked like they got dominated. I think the offensive line is the biggest issue for Clemson mm. that they've struggled with that becomes glaring, not against the ACC, but when it's against Ohio State or when it's against LSU. Um, and so just against – so I just looked up, and I think I referenced this on this podcast before, was in the last 10 years, so since 2010, Clemson has had three offensive linemen drafted in 10 years, zero first-round picks. Bama has had 10 – offensive lineman uh, <laughs> drafted four first rounders. Ohio state has had 11 offensive linemen drafted two first rounders. So that to me is a glaring difference. Like if I'm self scouting at Clemson, like they've had NFL talent at wide receiver. Like have they had a, you know, I remember we talked about Sammy Watkins the other day. He was a, when he was a freshman, it was like, Whoa, who is this guy? And then really what put them over the edge, what masked some of their offensive line issues because they were really good with Taj Boyd. Like, he helped build up that program. But then they had absolute game-changing talent at quarterback with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. And those guys m- made up for a lot of mistakes. I mean, remember in the North Carolina game a couple years ago, Trevor Lawrence is, like, getting harassed, like, and getting pressure. It's like, what is happening here? And if that happens at one game in the middle of the season, the regular season, what do you think is going to happen when they play Alabama or LSU or Ohio State? 
it's going to be a lot harder for those elite quarterbacks. Like they have to make up for all those mistakes. And sometimes it's just too much to ask them to do. So I think offensive line is an issue that if I was looking at Clemson, I would say that's an area they have to recruit better and get better five-star talent on. Cause their defensive line has been great. Like yeah. they've had, you know, incredible talent on the defensive line. I think offensive line is something I would look at at Clemson and say, that's an area that's got to be corrected if they want to get back to this kind of dynasty that they've been on. And uh, defensively, they are third in the country in returning production on the defensive side of the ball. So it was a young defense. They're bringing a lot back. Coming up on the other side, say you never played high school football uh, or you never played college football. You never coached college football. Do you think that you could, as a CEO coach, succeed? We'll get into that and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This next question comes from A, A from I. I'm going to guess it's Alex from Iowa. All right, Alex from Iowa. Head coaches being referred to as, quote, CEOs has me thinking, which major sport would someone who has never played or coached at a high level be most likely to be successful at? I feel like college football is the correct answer because it is such an organizational game that a head coach can delegate almost everything to coordinators, analysts, university personnel, etc. Another part of me thinks that college basketball is the right answer because you just need one or two great players to make a decent tournament run. Could it be soccer or baseball? I feel like college sports would be where there is a greater chance of success than the pros. Your thoughts. P.S. Danny is my new favorite, but please don't give him any more airtime than he already has. <laughs> <laughs> I I would say that you're completely wrong. I would think that college is the most difficult if you have no coaching experience because yeah, you need to be the CEO of a program, but part of being the CEO of a program are relationships. And if you have absolutely no experience in the coaching game, then it's going to be hard for you to have the kind of relationships that you're going to need and to be able to maintain the kind of success. Not like if you don't coach, you don't have relationships with coaches to hire and the coaches you want aren't going to just come work for some person they've never met, don't know anything about. It's going to be difficult to do that. I think the major sport that would be the least like or the most likely to have success with no relationship with it is baseball simply because we've kind of already seen that. Like if you go into major league front offices right now, they're not filled with former players or former coaches. They're filled with guys Nerds. from NBAs from like Ivy League schools. Baseball has become so mathematical in its approach that you don't need to have that kind of background. Hell, even game management, you're seeing more managers in dugouts in baseball who don't really have a ton of baseball experience. Some do like, or we're seeing like, it's, they're going directly straight to former players who obviously are young because the front offices are making a lot of in-game decisions. Like a lot of decisions teams make now are kind of predetermined. It's kind of like the two-point conversion chart that an NFL coach has on the sideline. In this situation, we're going to do this. We're going to bunt. We're not going to bunt. We're going to you know, shift. When this guy's up, you're going to shift and play defense over here. These things are mostly predetermined. So I think that baseball is probably the best answer to this question. Come on. It's already happened. Ted Lasso did it in yes. soccer. Let's go. Yes. Like, that's easy. Yes. Soccer is the easy 
Yes. Great show, by the way. If you haven't watched it, go watch the series. It's thorough. I actually watched it twice because I knew my wife would lo- uh, like it. So I went back and watched it. I love, I am fascinated by this discussion because I've always been a believer that, or, and I think what would be fascinating to see was, um, you know, take Coach K and give him, you know, Alabama and switch Nick Saban and give him Duke basketball. And I think they both could probably mimic each other's success. Um, give Urban Meyer, you know, a baseball team. I, I'm a in this. This is a bias that comes from me because of my experience with Bobby Bowden. He was very much a, a, a figurehead, very much a delegator, very much the CEO. Um, so I, I'm like, I, if you, and it is all about to Tom's point, you do have to have incredible assistant coaches. Like at some point you have to know the X's and O's of the games, but there were times at Florida state when I would be on the headset and I'd be talking to Mark Richt and Bobby Bowden would come over and he'd say, Hey, I want that reverse. How do we call that again? Like, he didn't exactly wasn't in the, the offense and he started in the X's and O's like he knew the system, but it was shifting at a fast pace so that it was these new terminology and new concepts. And he knew kind of about them, but like he was pretty far removed. He didn't do much of practice. He was watching from the tower and he'd kind of take notes and then he would coach the coaches. So I think that there's also the story of Joe Moglia too, what he did at coastal Carolina. Like now he coached, right out of college, like when he was young. And then he had this incredible, you know, business career where it becomes like this multi, I think he was a billionaire, but like this multi, you know, million dollar successful career. And he's like, Oh yeah, I miss coaching. I'm going to go back into that. And he does and goes and, you know, coaches for six or seven years and, you know, gets coastal Carolina to have some success. So it's kind of, you know, it's, we've seen it a little bit done there. Does playing for Portland, do we count that as, playing at a high level it's division <laughs> one right yeah college basketball because i'm thinking yeah. about eric spolster is the video coordinator to championship winning coach story yeah right so i guess and manny diaz manny diaz was a florida state like as a some sort of assistant and then remember he went and worked at espn he was like going to be a broadcaster and it wasn't working out so then there's all kind of stories of coaches who didn't play and i think it's surprising to some people that find out oh that guy never played the game and that there's examples both ways. I think it was just, it's a new way of thinking. I think before 20, 30 years ago, it would have prohibited schools from hiring a coach. Oh, he didn't play. How can he know? But I think we've evolved as a society that guys can cut their teeth in the business by watching a ton of film, watching, studying, and learning from mentors who do know the game and the ins and outs and, and actually can pull it off. Does Yale count? Because Vandy just hired this nerd to run their <laughs> roster operations, and all he did was like put stars on players' names for a few years. I mean, any anybody can do it. You know, anybody can do it. Clearly, clearly. Baseball is right around the corner, which means you should be listening to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stanfill, Scott White, and Chris Towers are doing position previews for the rest of February to get you ready for draft season with five, count them, one, two, three, four, fifth episodes per week. You can find Fantasy Baseball Today wherever you listen to the Cover 3 podcast, but they're also now streaming video live on weeknights around 10 p.m. on the Fantasy Baseball YouTube channel. Again, that's Fantasy baseball today live episodes around 10 p.m on weeknights five episodes per week go and get draft ready speaking of uh of baseball um and analytics this question says a newcomer but haven't missed an episode since june every other pod just kills time until a new cover three insert quote skeptical but have come around on danny cliche i mean it's it's like the the running like everyone has come to admit it. No one actually says it. Honestly, they just hear it so often that it's part of a review. Uh, it is, it is also a time for some self scouting of Danny Cannell's Twitter feed, because I did notice a theme. It's like, Oh, I can't stand him on Twitter, but he's not so bad when I hear him talk. So I gotta, I gotta adjust. <laughs> I've been saying this for like 10 years that I'm going to dial it back. And yet during our last podcast, when we were together and we were talking about Alabama, like you can hear my tone when I'm like, Oh, Alabama's overrated. And because FAU has more players in the Super Bowl, and yet I couldn't resist to tweet it out there. And if you go through the mentions, Alabama fans are, le- they're like legitimately mad at me. Like, Oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, <laughs> go listen to the pod. I was trying to get him to come listen to the pod. I'm like, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I love it. 
Uh, can y'all help me understand the current state and ceiling of advanced analytics in football? We see more passing tempo and fourth down attempts, but those are almost all, those are almost quality of life adjustments. Baseball with its power emphasis and shift frequency seem to happen quickly. Are we already there in football? If not, what's next? I don't know what's next. I think that we're trending that direction. I mean, if I, you look at what Nick Saban did at Alabama. Now, I don't think Nick Saban looked at a bunch of analytics and said, oh, this is what we need to do to change. Although he might have, I wouldn't put it past him. But I think that it's just, we've seen a situation where the numbers have dictated that passing is more effective than running the ball. So you saw in recent years, teams that get the talent, it used to be, you know, is is five, seven, eight years ago, the most talented teams just handed the ball off, ran through, ran some play action, and then beat you with defense. But then we saw spread teams and all that stuff kind of proliferate the sport, passing attack. Teams realized if you don't have as much talent as the other teams, you can spread them out, and you could pass more, and it's more effective, and you can try to score points against them. And then the teams with the most talent realized the same thing because the numbers dictated you could have more success doing this. So now they've got the talent and they've got the more efficient way of scoring points. And now they're going to be really difficult to catch as for what the future holds. I don't know because it's like, that's the thing about analytics. It's really, it's so catch all term kind of like money ball came for baseball where it's like, Oh, that's the money ball approach where it doesn't really mean anything anymore. It just means we're looking at things and, being smarter and not just using our gut instinct. So the analytics around every sport are changing constantly. So it's not like you can really know what's coming. It's kind of organic. It just kind of happens the way that we're seeing now where everybody's past happy. Like for instance, there's a lot of talk now about punting on fourth downs. Like when you're in your opponent territory, at some point we are going to reach a time where teams are not punting nearly as much. Whereas the scale is going to tip, punting is going to become the more optimal play. Yes. Because if, if every, like, yes. it's that whole kind of contrarian kind yeah. of thing, it's going to go back and forth. And at some point, we're going to see with defenses having to adjust to the way offenses are run now, defenders are getting smaller. Well, guess what? Offenses at some point in the future are going to counter that by getting bigger, by going to more 12 personnel, to having 250-pound running backs and just ramming it down these 225-pound linebackers' throats. It's it's just it, – it's organic. It never stops. Look look at you already making the case for Brett Bielema at Illinois to, like, go back to old school, like, hammer it down their throats. Let's, but I was thinking along the same lines. Like, what's – like, you have to – like you have to figure out ways to minimize the talent gap that's very real. And yes, there's a gap between Alabama and Arkansas, but there's also a gap between you know, the middle tier teams even. So if you can do anything to get that edge, then you try to find it. And the edge has been go like remember it wasn't only like it was up tempo like let's go as fast as we can let's try to keep them so we can force them into just cover two or whatever their check is and then once we figure out what defense they're running then we know how to attack it and they can't adjust well then defenses started to get smarter and they started you know making substitutions at different times and they you know try to filibuster that somehow and now we're seeing teams throw it all over the yard and we're seeing rpos I do wonder, and I, I know we've had this discussion before on this show, like I really wish somebody at one of the Power 5 schools would try to run the triple option or some semblance of it. Uh, you know, Gus Malzahn had a lot of principles at Auburn that were like that, but he also tried to throw it. like Because I do think that would potentially work in the scenario that Tom is talking about where it is, you know, hey, everyone, it's smaller, faster, quicker, and longer – well, guess what those type of defensive players don't like? Coming right at your knees, chopping you, cutting you, and getting bulldozed. So I think that's like – I would love to see an outside-the-box athletic director hire somebody like that. Jeff Monken's right there, you know? Yeah, if, exactly. We mean, Tom writes, a, writes about him every single offseason. Like, hey, there's a very, very successful option coach who could be – your guiding light to being competitive in a power five conference. Look what it did for Georgia tech for a while. Yeah. 
Got them to ACC championship games. Got them seven and seven. All right. You don't, you don't reach seven and seven by not being special and unique. Bless the seven and seven Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets winning the tiebreakers in the coastal to go be served up as uh, whoever. Actually, that might have been a Florida State team that ended up beating them. Okay. Well, Danny, glad you mentioned Bielema. Love the pod. Uh, Danny is great and Bud is fantastic, though I'll miss Barton and the dentist. I think I think that we've got a line to the dentist now that doesn't require Barton's involvement. Uh, we'll we'll see if we'll let his his picks. We're getting the straight Novocaine. Yeah. No more <laughs> Hit me with that gas, bro. Uh, <laughs> am I insane for being really excited about what Bielema is doing so far at Illinois? He's bringing on experienced coaches instead of hiring his, his son and has done a great job recruiting the current roster so far. Please talk some sense into me. I don't want to be hurt again. Also, please share more stories about Tom getting into rumbles in the mean streets of Champaign-Urbana. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah I want to you- hear those. Okay. Uh, it's... I, yeah, it's fine to be excited. I think that what Bielema's doing is good, but there's also like that trap you kind of fall into as a college football fan where if you fired your last coach, obviously you fired them for reasons. And then somebody else comes in and it's like, Ooh, all right, you know, breath of fresh air, everything's going to be so much better. Now there's that natural optimism that you have. But I do think that if you look at the way when Lovey Smith came in and he came in in a very difficult situation that I think often gets forgotten about, but he took an approach where, you know, he didn't, he hadn't been at the college level in a long time. So he didn't really have a ton of connections with college coaches. He brought in a lot of NFL coaches and he was going to bring like an NFL approach to a college football program. And it didn't work as well as they wanted to. It's that's not to say it didn't work altogether because they did do it is there was like a whole history of Illinois identifying recruits early and getting offers out to them. And then shortly afterwards, like a lot of bigger programs were catching on to these kids and offering them. And of course, once that comes on, Illinois didn't really have much of a shot with them. But I, what I like about what Bielema is doing is it is a legitimate complaint that when Lovey Smith was at Illinois, they did not really work all that hard recruiting the state of Illinois. They like the Chicago land and the city and the suburbs was getting just the rest of the big 10, like Minnesota took great advantage of it. Iowa's always had success in the suburbs and in Chicago, Michigan state, Michigan, Ohio state, Notre Dame, all these schools have always had success there. Northwestern was having more success. Yikes. Illinois kind of just, I don't want to say gave up, but they did not have the same kind of emphasis because Lovey's philosophy was if you looked at the recruiting rankings every single year, the best players in the country were from Florida, Georgia, Texas, California. You know, he was trying to put more emphasis in recruiting those states, but it was difficult for Illinois to do if it wasn't winning football games. It's hard to convince a kid in Florida to come to Illinois. So Bielema has come in and he has not, he's hired a bunch of coaches who have coaching experience and power five coaching experience, which really helps when it comes to recruiting. Because again, we like we talked about that question earlier, having those kind of relationships helps. It helps you land recruits. And they have also seriously put a much larger emphasis on recruiting inside the state of Illinois. And I think that is important because while I don't think Illinois has a talent level of high school recruits where you can compete for big 10 titles, just strictly recruiting your own state, I do think that if you recruit your own state well enough in Illinois, it significantly raises your floor as a program. It gives you much more wiggle room to, you know, reach out and strike out. And I think that Bielema's, he's already, his first recruit was... 230-pound running back from Wisconsin. Let's freaking go. Bielema ball. Let's roll. He's he's from Arkansas, but his coach at Arkansas was the same coach who coached Melvin Gordon in high school in Wisconsin. But his his first recruit in the 2021 class is an offensive lineman from Wisconsin. They're going into Ohio, which is an area where they did not really bother with while Lovey Smith was the head coach. And that makes no sense because we saw what being able to recruit Ohio has done for Kentucky in recent years, that there's a lot of talent there. And Ohio State can't take all of it because Ohio State is a nationally recruiting program. And Cincinnati has taken advantage of it in recent years. And Michigan State took advantage of it under Mark D'Antonio. So Illinois is trying to get back into that footprint 
I think that when you look at everything he's done since taking over, he hasn't made a misstep yet. And there is a lot of reason for optimism about it. And I think that just the fact that we have seen him have success at Wisconsin, he was having success at Arkansas before that ended. And as I said on the last show, and Bud said, Barton said, I think, Chip, you've been, we don't know that Arkansas made the right decision to fire him and move on. And I think that having that kind of experience and previous success gives you proper reason to be optimistic about Illinois, but it's just as always with Illinois football, I'm optimistic, but I'm taking a more of a wait and see approach too. I think you should be optimistic. Uh, Of course you should, especially if you're a fan of the school. Uh, I think there's a big difference. And I think this was one thing that concerned me about Lovey Smith is when you're going from the NFL to college and you don't fully understand what it takes to recruit and the effort and energy that goes into it. You're like, well, I'm a good coach. I can develop the talent it's, it's really, it's really, really hard to do that. Um, and I think Lovey learned that the hard way. And I think Brett Bielema, because of experience at Wisconsin, which is a weird place, you know, weird region of the country to try to recruit to. I think it'd be easier to recruit to Illinois, but they haven't had the recent run of success. So you have to overcome that, but he brings some brand recognition that Lovey Smith had as well. But I think Brett Bielema brings with it the understanding of what it takes to recruit. And I do think they will have an identity which will fit the Big Ten, which, as you mentioned, it worked at Wisconsin. It didn't work back at Arkansas. Because think about the changes in identity at Arkansas, the back and forth um, going back to um, Bobby Petrino before that, and then he's trying to change the way they look and what they do. It's just it's really hard to do that. So I think he can implement a strategy there that can work. And I think Illinois will be patient with them. It's a place, you tell me, Tom, but I think they're realistic in their expectation of it should take a couple, two to three years to get Illinois back to a place where they're winning seven, eight, nine games potentially. I think realistically, yeah, but I think the approach Bielema is taking is he's he's planning on winning right away. Yeah, I like, trying to I like the 230-pound running back. That's what I want. Just nothing but 12 personnel, 230-pound run back. We're going to come. And we are going to embody everything about the vibes of our head coach on the sideline. Let's go. I-L-L. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Vernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I'll tell fight stories next time. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.